Let's take our Bibles this morning, open them to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. We have the uh, great privilege this morning to study the Word of God together in order that we might gain an understanding about Jesus being both fully God and fully man. Within the final verses of Luke chapter 3, and also verses 1 through 13 of chapter 4, there are three scenarios that Luke gives us concerning Jesus Christ that authenticate for us that He is the true and living Messiah. The first one we have already looked at, that was the baptism of Jesus under John the Baptist. Baptism identified Jesus Christ with mankind. It identified Him as the one satisfactory reality to God and therefore could take away the sin that you and I so desperately needed before God. The third authenticating scenario is in chapter 4, as Jesus Christ in the first 13 verses is tempted by Satan, who questions the very declaration that God the Father made about Jesus at the baptism of Jesus. In verse 22 of chapter 3, God spoke from the heavens and said, You are my Son, my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. You notice in chapter 4, verses 3 and 9, the devil himself says, If you are the Son of God, then do this. In verse 9, And he led him to Jerusalem to stand in the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, if you are the Son of God, then do this. Satan himself doubting the very declaration that God the Father had made about Jesus at the baptism of Jesus. And sandwiched right here in the middle of those two events is this genealogical record of the eternal sonship of Christ as He is tied to humanity and to the Godhead as the Son of God. So these are the three authenticating truths that Luke includes for us about Jesus Christ so that you and I, like he is writing to Theophilus, might know the exact truth about the things that we have been taught. Luke desires that we know exactly who Jesus Christ is. Let's begin our time this morning before we jump into this text with just offering our time to the Lord once again. Father, we thank You that we can be here this day, that we can open Your Word, and that we can open it even to a text like this that maybe we wouldn't look at and that we can glean from it all that you would have for us. Lord, use it in our hearts, use it in our minds. Help us to understand these things all for your glory and for our good. 
In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. The task before me this morning is not an easy one. You might wonder about that, but it is not easy. One, for one reason, it's morning, and you probably haven't had all the coffee you want to have in order to be awake this morning. Number two, it's warm. And anytime it's warm, we have a tendency to listen to a droning voice like mine and want to take a nap. And yet, thirdly, the text before us, even more difficultly, is that it's a genealogy. And anyone who would choose a genealogy to preach through has got to be somewhat odd. I'm sure that if I asked any of us to raise our hands this morning as to respond to this kind of question, how many of us have ever studied a genealogy in the Bible, I'm not sure I would get many hands. We don't tend to go to the genealogy and say, I think I'm going to do my daily devotions here this morning. But it is my hope that after our time this morning that we will be able, at least in a sense, to answer that question with an affirmative answer. Yes, I have looked at a genealogy before. One of the phenomenons that has more recently swept through our own country has been an interest in genealogical record. There has always been some interest in genealogies within history, But with the advent of the internet and with the advent of the technologies and the scientific data to trace DNA, you see that advertised all over the place that you can give a drop of your blood, send it away, and by means of your DNA, they will send you back at least some general sense as to your origin, to your history, to your genealogy. More and more people have a curiosity in our day about their own ancestry. I remember when I was a teenage boy finding out that my paternal grandmother had spent hours tracing our family's ancestry back to the places and to some of the people to which my family is tied to uh, and where we began. It was very interesting to me to find out that because my family name is of English origin, that there were English aristocracy linked to my family. There are family names in my own family's history that are linked to Westminster Abbey and places like that of, of higher-ranking individuals within England, and, and that those people had a hand in the early days of settling even the American colonies. Several years ago, my two older brothers and I, along with our wives, went to Charleston, South Carolina. Charleston, South Carolina is a very interesting place if you've never been there. But the purpose was to take our parents there as they celebrated their 60th anniversary and just to kind of trace some of the family history that we have uh, in Charleston. On that trip, we got to see that not long after the founding of the American colonies and my own genealogy, some of the descendants settled in Charleston and donated some of their funds in order to establish Charleston and that area. In fact, if you go there today, you will notice that 
My family's name is on road signs and park signs and things like that by one in our family named John Rag, who donated a bunch of land. And we found out that one of our descendants was even captured by a man named Edward Teach. Edward Teach, that name may not sound all that significant to any of you, and that's probably because you only know him by his more infamous name. He was known as Blackbeard the Pirate. It was interesting to pick up a book in a bookstore there in Charleston where someone had traced the history of Blackbeard the Pirate and find our my ancestor's name in there as someone who was captured by him and helped to negotiate the release of captives by Blackbeard the Pirate. Why do I say all of that? Simply just to say that genealogies are important and you may not know who might be part of your genealogy. And in our our study of the Word of God this morning, we come face to face with a genealogy, and the genealogy has some very interesting people involved in it. And most often, when we see genealogies in the Bible, we just tend to go by them, and we go, oh, that's a genealogy, it's a bunch of names I really don't know how to pronounce anyway, I'll just move on. But this genealogy is of greater importance than any genealogy that you might find in the Scriptures or that you might have read about in the past because this is a genealogy of Jesus who is the Christ. Just the very name Jesus, who is the Christ, identifies Him as more than just human. He is more than just a a normal human being, as we might think of all the other human beings that we might know, just his name alone identifies him as being God in the flesh. He is certainly Jesus the man. He is certainly Jesus the fully human man. And yet he is Jesus who is the Christ. Jesus who is the Messiah. Now, For our time this morning, and this is going to sound more like a history lesson than it will an expository sermon, but for our time this morning, we're not going to look at all 77 names here, and I'm sure you take a sigh of relief when I say that. We're not going to go through all 77 names that are mentioned here in this passage. But what I want us to ask this morning is just simply this question. As we're looking at Luke, as we're thinking about what Luke is saying, as we think about what he has said to Theophilus, though he might know everything that he's been taught, we have to answer the question, why would would Luke include a genealogy right here? It's not as if we don't have the lineage of Jesus in the New Testament already, Right? In fact, there's another genealogy in the New Testament. It is found in Matthew chapter 1. And so it also gives us information about the lineage of Jesus Christ. So if you have a genealogy in Matthew's gospel, then why would God, through Luke, give us another genealogy? Well, the answer to that question lies in the reality of why each author included it in their gospel. And so I want us to explore that today. And then prayerfully, we will 
come away with a better understanding about both the deity of Jesus Christ and the humanity of Jesus and why our unity with Christ is so very necessary. So in order for us to be faithful to that, here in Luke's gospel, we'll also have to borrow from Matthew's gospel. So you need to have a finger in both, Matthew chapter 1 and in Luke chapter 3, because we're going to need to make some comparisons. Now I want to just make a few introductory comments here as we, we start, because when it comes to genealogies, for all people... There is both a physical connection in a genealogy. In other words, there's a physical connection with your lineage in a genealogy, but there's also a legal connection with your genealogy. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, someone might have a physical connection to a person in the line or a person in their past, in their genealogy. They might have a physical connection, but they have no legal connection to that person. That would mean that they have no legal reality about um, receiving any of the inheritance of this person they might have a physical connection with. That happened to us when we were in South Carolina. We went there, we went on a tour bus, the whole area around the whole tour the 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 uh, visitor center there is called Ragboro. It's really kind of interesting. And we went in to get a ticket for the bus, and the gal was behind the desk. She said, "I'm sorry, we're full." And I said, "Perhaps you don't know who we are." <laughs> and she said, "Yeah, whatever." And I pulled out our my driver's license. I said to that, I said, "Look at the name on there." She said, "Really?" I said, "Yes." She gets on the phone. Now, so-and-so, you would not believe who I'm talking to right now. She found us room on the bus. It was interesting. And when we were on the bus, another time, the visitor center, the person on the bus recognized the name and said, oh, Rag, are you related to the rags of this area? And of course, in my cheeky way, I said, are they rich? And so we had a physical connection to them, but we had no legal connection. I wasn't legally bound to gain anything from who they are in the area. So in order to be a person who can rightly place a claim upon an inheritance, there has to be proof of a physical connection in some sense, whether it be by birth or by adoption. There's this physical uh, reality where one is the father of that person, but there needs to be this legal connection. And if there is both, then it is absolutely irrefutable. Okay, If you have both the physical connection and the legal connection, then you are an error. And this is significantly important when it comes to Jesus Christ. Why? Because, as we will see in both the genealogy in Luke and the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, Jesus is the descendant of David. Remember what God said to David. God had promised that one of his descendants would sit upon his throne forever. 
So God had said to David, listen, one of your descendants is going to be perpetually on your throne forever. You can look at 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12, and verse 13, and verse 16, or Isaiah chapter 9, and verse 7, and you can look at both of those passages, and God promises that. So it's clear that the one who was to be, bo- to be on the throne of David needed to have a physical connection as well as a legal right. He had to have both. He had to be physically connected with the line of David. He had to have the legal right to the throne. And both of those come by way of ancestral connection. So this is what we have to understand when we we look at these together, these genealogies. These two genealogies, Matthew's genealogy and Luke's genealogy, give us both. They give us the physical connection of Jesus Christ, and they give us the legal connection to the throne. And they do it in a very interesting way. And I want to highlight that for us. Now, there are some differences that these genealogies have that we need to see at the, at the, right at the outset. First, Luke, in his genealogy, which begins in verse 23 and goes to verse 38, he lists the names of the descendants of Jesus from the earliest descendant to the farthest away. So he goes from those that are closest to Jesus by way of his own genealogy, all the way back, you notice in verse 38, all the way back to Adam and then to God. So the farthest away he can go. So he starts with a person named in verse 23 as Eli, or some of your Bibles may say H-E-L-I, Heli. Right, He says, verse 23, And when he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being supposedly son of Joseph, the son of Eli, or Eli. Okay, And that goes all the way back then to God himself. So that's curious to us, and we will talk about all of that in a moment. Matthew does just the opposite. Matthew starts with Abraham and then in verse in verse 2 and then moves all the way to Jesus in verse 16. So Matthew does just the opposite. He moves towards Jesus from the farthest away towards Jesus where Luke starts with Jesus and moves away to God himself. So if you begin to read Matthew's record, there is In one sense, there's less drama coming because you know where it's going to end. You know it's going to end at Jesus, right? So it begins at Abraham in Matthews, and it ends at Jesus. You know where it's going. That's as far back as it goes. It starts with Abraham, and it goes to Jesus himself. But Luke is a little more suspense-driven, because you don't know really where it's going to end. It begins with Jesus, and then you've got to read all the way down until verse 38, and you get to the end, and it begins with God. And of course, some of you might be asking what you ought to be asking when you do Bible study. Well, why? Why? Well, Matthew only goes to Abraham. Why? Because Matthew is primarily talking to Jews. Matthew is writing to Jewish people, people who thought with a Jewish mindset, who lived under Judaism. And so throughout his gospel, he wants to satisfy the legal tie. 
He wants to satisfy, when it comes to the genealogy, the legal right to the throne of David. So who has the legal right to the throne of David? Someone who's tied to David. All Judaism begins with Abraham. That's who began the nation. So he's the father of the nation of Israel. And so Matthew, in order to prove messianic rights to a Jew, in order to to write to the Jews and prove to them who the Messiah was, Matthew has to go to the genealogy and trace it back to Adam or to Abraham through David. So he goes from Abraham to David, and that's what Matthew is doing, all the way down to Jesus. He's showing the legal tie. He's showing the Jews the legal reality that is connected to Jesus. And that aspect is very fascinating to us, and we'll see it in just a moment, exactly how God deals with that, because there's a glitch in the system, in the genealogical system, by way of the one that Matthew gives us, and I'll show you that in a minute. Luke, however, he is writing to a more universal audience. Luke is writing not just to Jews, but to a universal audience, and he's showing how Jesus links to David physically. Not legally, but physically. And in a more general way, he's linking him to all of humanity, which is why he goes all the way back to Adam, which therefore then links all of us to God as image bearers of God. And so you notice that Luke traces back through David. You notice David is there mentioned in verse 31 of Luke's genealogy. And then he goes all the way back to Adam. And then finally, he ends with God. So Matthew is showing the legal connection to Jesus. And Luke is presenting us with the physical connection. Now, that is not to say that Matthew isn't showing a physical connection by way of his genealogy. He obviously is, right? A genealogy is a physical connection in some way. Every genealogy has some physical connection to someone. I was physically in some way connected with those ancestors who came over from England, even though I didn't have a legal connection with them. But that is not Matthew's purpose, right? Matthew's purpose is the legal connection. That he, Jesus is legally connected to the throne of David. He's the rightful heir to the throne. And so Luke's genealogy, you notice, is nearly twice as long as Matthew's genealogy. There's only 44 names in Matthew's genealogy, and really, it's not even 44 names. It's less than that because David is mentioned twice in there, and it's counted in that kind of way. A lot of commentators try to wonder why it was these three sections that it was broken up into, and many think it was just simply for memory so that they could remember the names in an easier way. But Luke's genealogy is nearly twice as long. Why? Because he goes past Abraham. He goes all the way back to Adam and then to God. And by the way, just as a side note, neither of the genealogies include all of the names that could be included in the genealogy. That is simply to say that there are names of people belonging to the linkage who are not named This isn't all the names in the genealogy of Jesus Christ from God all the way to Jesus. There's no way that could be. 
right? Because that would include every name and every person in all the history up until David, for sure, as part of a genealogy, because that all came from Adam. So it's not every name that's here. So when, for example, you read in Matthew's list that so-and-so was the son of so-and-so, who was the son of so-and-so, and so-and-so begot so-and-so, it doesn't mean that those two people were necessarily father and son. It doesn't necessarily mean that. They could be father and son. They could be father and grandson. They could be father and great-grandson. Skip generations between those names. In other words, within genealogies, there can be generations that are skipped for one reason or another. But that doesn't change the reality of the genealogical connection. So like all genealogies, not all the names are listed. So how do we know that here? How do we know that all the names are not listed here? Because you can go back and compare these two genealogies, one in Matthew 1 and the one in Luke chapter 3, with genealogies in the Old Testament, and you can see that some of the names are passed over. Some who followed, other, others within the list that aren't named, aren't listed in this thing, and some were passed over. And we're not going to go back there to, to do all that. You can do that on your own study. It's very interesting to kind of see all of that. But remember, as long as you can trace back through the line, then you can skip some who are in the line. You understand what I'm saying? As long as you can trace it back, and there's connection physically, and connection as Matthew's point, um, legally, then there is names that you can skip. Secondly, you notice the word son. Notice in Luke chapter 3, the word son begins in verse 23. You see the word son there, the son, son of Joseph. And then right after that, you have son in italics. And every name following that throughout this list, you notice all the way down to son of God, the word son is in italics, other than the one time it's mentioned not in italics in verse 23. In verse 23, you have the son of Eli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, son of Joseph. Son is in italics in verse 24, 25, 26, and following. Why? Because the word son is not in the original text. It's not there in the original language. It was added by the translators in order to help us in just reading it. But the person following the word son when it's in italics isn't necessarily a son of that person. In other words, there might be a skip in the, in the genealogical generation. They could be a son, they could be a grandson, they could be a great-grandson. In fact, more literally, the text should read this way. Eli, right, when it says Eli or Eli or Heli, as you might have it in yours, the one of Mathot, who is the one of Levi, who is the one of Melchi, etc., etc., etc. That's more accurately to the literal sense of how it would read. So you can understand that there is this ability to allow for the skipping of names within a genealogical record 
and include just those names that drive at the point you're trying to make. That's what Luke and Matthew are doing. So first, what we have in the New Testament genealogies is two different purposes. One is a legal purpose, to connect Jesus with the legal reality of the throne of David, and one is a physical purpose, to connect Jesus physically with David himself. Secondly, not all names throughout the history of this genealogy are included. Only those necessary for the purpose of Luke and Matthew. Third, third, Third is the difference in names included. And this is where it gets very, very interesting. We need to pay close attention here. If that wasn't confusing enough at the start, I'm asking you to really ratchet it up and and pay close attention here because this is where it kind of can go off rails if we're not careful. You notice, notice that Luke traces Jesus' line back to David And he does it through the name of a man called Nathan. You see that in verse 31? The one of Melia, the one of Mena, the one of Matatha, the one of Nathan, the one of David. Who was Nathan? We're not talking about the prophet Nathan that, that confronted David about his sin. This is the son of David. Nathan was David's third son. Nathan was David's third son, and he was born from the woman named Bathsheba. We know that name. right? We know who Bathsheba was. She was the woman that David took as his wife after her having her husband killed in battle because David sinfully had had an affair with her. After that child that was conceived in that sinful relationship died, David takes her as his wife, and she bears him other children. And the third living son that she bore to him was named Nathan. Now, stick with me on this, because this is crucial. Luke's genealogy goes back to David, the king, through his son, Nathan. Now, the legal tie to the throne is not through just any son. The legal tie to the throne has to be through the firstborn son. It's always the firstborn son that was given the right to the throne, the right to the inheritance. And Luke has here the thirdborn son, Who was the firstborn son of David? Solomon. Solomon through Bathsheba. That was the firstborn son. So Solomon was the rightful heir to the throne. Well, what do you know? Matthew chapter 1. Notice what it says. Let me get to the book. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, right? And to Jesse was born David the king, and to David was born Solomon. 
By who? By her, the one of Uriah, the wife of Uriah. So here is Matthew. Matthew's genealogy goes back to Solomon, through David to Solomon. And Luke's genealogy goes back through David to Nathan, a third-born son. So in Luke's genealogy, you have a physical tie to David. And in Matthew's genealogy, you go back through Solomon to David, the firstborn son, and there you have the legal tie. So Jesus, through David, has the legal tie through his firstborn son named Solomon, and he has the physical tie through his thirdborn son named Nathan. So what are we seeing here in the gospel? What is God doing? We are seeing that you have two different genealogical lines after David, right? Two different genealogical lines. You have one being all the people who came out of the line of David through Solomon, and the other is all of the people who came through David out of his son Nathan. Both are from David, and yet you have two genealogical lines. Now, why is all of that important? Because notice that Matthew lists Jesus' grandfather as Jacob. Notice Matthew chapter 1 and verse 15. Right? And Jacob, to Jacob was born Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. So we know who Mary is. We know who Joseph is. And Joseph's father was Jacob, who was the grandfather of Jesus. So Matthew says that Jesus' earthly father was Joseph, and Joseph's father was Jacob. Okay, good enough, clear enough. But Luke says, the end of verse 23, in Luke's gospel, And when he, that is Jesus, began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being supposedly son of Joseph, and there's that word in the original language, son is used, son of Joseph, the one of Heli, the one of Eli. Luke lists Jesus' grandfather as Eli, or Heli. Matthew lists it as Jacob. Why the difference? Why are these two genealogies listing the grandfather of Jesus differently? Well, because you've got two sons of David, Solomon and Nathan, and therefore two different branches of the genealogy of David. Therefore, you've got two grandfathers of Jesus, one being Jacob who we see in Matthew, and one being L.A., who you see in Luke. You say, well, that sounds rather strange to me. Well, let me say this first. Both are royal lines physically. Both are royal lines physically. They're tied to David. They're tied to the royal line. Both come out of David. Solomon comes out of David. Nathan comes out of David. So they've got a physical tie there to the royal line. And therefore, in both genealogies, the David 
From David to Abraham, you notice if you were to look, the genealogies are exactly the same. The names are exactly the same when you go from Abraham to David. So in Luke, in verse, in verse 34, and if you were to go back up to verse 31, you'd notice all the names in verse 32, 33, and 34 are all the same as you'd find in Luke, or in Matthew's gospel when it comes to the names between David and Abraham. They're, identif- they're identical. But when you go from David onward, the names are completely different in both. Completely different. So when you read the genealogy of Matthew, you go through that list of names back to Solomon. And when you read Luke's, you read Eli, and you go through those names back to Nathan. They're different names. So what you have in these two genealogical branches that come from one person, David, those two branches list two different grandfathers for Jesus. Why? Because we all have two grandfathers don't we? We all have two grandfathers. You have a grandfather on your father's side, and you have a grandfather on your mother's side. We all have two grandfathers. Supposedly, Joseph, who is tied to David through Solomon, right? He's Jesus's earthly father, but only by legal right because Jesus was not his son physically. There is the legal tie as Joseph and Mary come together and Jesus is brought into that home, adopted in one sense by Joseph as his son, and he is known supposedly, as Luke says, being supposedly the son of Joseph. So that's where that tie comes from. So the right and legal heir to the Davidic throne is through Solomon, as you see in Matthew's gospel, and the other is tied through Mary, the earthly mother of Jesus, who is tied, by the way, to the Davidic line through Nathan. That is her lineage. She was in the branch of Nathan. In other words, one of Jesus' grandfathers is maternal, the other is paternal. One is fully physical through Mary, the other is fully legal through Joseph. Matthew, you have the genealogy of Joseph through his father Jacob, going all the way back to David through Solomon. And in Luke, you have the genealogy of Mary through her father, Eli, or Heli who would be the grandfather of Jesus on his mother's side. You say, why is all of that important? Because for anyone to assume the throne of David, they had to have not just the physical genealogy, but they had to have the legal right to that throne. And so Jesus could only receive the right to the throne of David through his father. Only came through the father. Who was, as Luke 3.23 says, who was supposedly the son of Joseph. So you receive the legal right to to the throne, the legal right to rule on the throne of David 
through your father. And so, for Matthew, Matthew, writing to Jews, he had to prove that Jesus had a legal right. Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus as the one who is the Messiah is the legal connection to David. He has a legal right to the throne to pre following in the footsteps of David and Solomon and all who had come down after that. Jesus, though he's not a human son of Joseph, receives the legal right to the throne from his adopted father, who is Joseph. Joseph was considered the real father of Jesus by way of that adoption when he was the husband of Mary, even though Jesus was not his physical progeny, even though Jesus was not tied to him in a physical sense. But because he married Mary, whose physical son was Jesus, he became the legal father of Jesus. And therefore, from Joseph, Jesus receives the legal right to the throne. Okay, that's very important. It's very important for us to understand. Jesus has a legal right to the throne of David, even though Joseph was not his physical father. That's the sum total of why these are included for us here. In Matthew's genealogy, as you look at it going from Solomon, there is a man named in there, and this is where it starts to get interesting. This is why God did this. You notice... When you go in Matthew's genealogy and you read in verse 6 from David was born Solomon and you go down through all of those names and the kings of Israel as you follow them down even through the Old Testament, you get to verse 11 and to Josiah was born Jeconiah. Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. So here's Israel and its history, has all these kings, and then the king Jeconiah begins to rule, and they are deported to Babylon under God's divine hand of correction upon Israel. He has them taken captive. They're hauled off to Babylon. And then after the deportation to Babylon, to Jeconiah was born Shealtiel, and to Shealtiel Zerubbabel, and to Zerubbabel was born Abihud, and down through the line until you get to Jacob, who was born Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Jeconiah is a very interesting name in the genealogy of Matthew. You don't find it in Luke's gospel. Why? Because in the Old Testament, Jeconiah's physical line... The physical descendants of Jeconiah were cursed by God because of their sin. What was the curse? Here's what it said, Jeremiah chapter 22. You can look at it at some point in the verses 24 to 30, but here's what it said. Jeconiah is cursed, and no son of his will ever sit on the throne of Israel forever. So wait a minute. Here you have this genealogy in which Matthew is writing in Matthew chapter 1, and he's going from David through his firstborn son Solomon, the heir to the kingship, and all the way through the line, and these who are assuming the role of king, and you get to Jeconiah, and you understand from the Old Testament in Jeremiah's prophecy that Jeconiah has been cursed by God, and no one from his physical line will ever assume the throne. 
You can just see Satan in the glories of, of before God as he's wringing his hands going, I got you now. How are you ever going to fulfill the promise you made to David when you cursed the very line? Well, they can't get somebody on the throne. Because why? Because Jeconiah's been cursed. A physical descendant of Jeconiah is never going to sit on the throne. Listen, that's dealing with the physical tie. The physical reality of the tie to the throne. It's not dealing, however, with the legal tie to the throne. It's fascinating because that's Joseph's physical line. His physical line is through Jeconiah. Through Solomon, all the way down, through Jeconiah, through Shealtiel, through Zerubbabel. No physical son of his would ever sit on the throne. We know that in God's wisdom, Jesus was not the physical son of Joseph, was he? God in his infinite wisdom and plan and redemption past as he was planning out how to redeem a people unto himself, God knew all of this. He knew every contingency. He was the one orchestrating it all. And God said, that's not a problem. He's not a physical tie with Joseph. He'll have an adoption, but he won't have a physical tie. I'm not breaking any rules that I have set in place at all. He's the legal son of Joseph by way of that adoption, but he's not the physical son. He did receive the legal right through Joseph, even though he wasn't the natural son of Joseph. So the curse that God had placed upon Jeconiah was still valid. And God, by his great wisdom, ensured that it had no bearing on Jesus because Jesus was born of what? A virgin. He was born of a virgin. He had no physical tie to this earth by way of a father. And so Luke's genealogy, beloved, goes all the way back through Mary, back through Nathan, who was Solomon's brother. And therefore, Jesus has the legal link to David because he's through the line of David, through Joseph, and he has the physical link because he's through Mary. So Jesus has the legal right to the throne, and Jesus has the physical right to all that God has promised to David. So Here in Luke's Gospel, we haven't even... We haven't even touched, really, on any of the names. And I'm not sure if that would even be profitable, to touch on any of the names other than the ones we have touched on. Luke's Gospel, we have the genealogy of Jesus' physical earthly mother. The genealogy of Mary, given to us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, given to us by God Himself, in order to authenticate the fact that Jesus, not only does he have the legal right to rule through his father, but Jesus has the blood of David pulsing through his very veins because of his mother. He can be king legally, and he can be king physically. He's legally king 
through Joseph in that connection, and he can be naturally the king through Mary. He is exactly as verse 38 says. He is the Son of God, or the One of God. He goes all the way back to God. All the way back to God. He doesn't go back to just Abraham to where a nation began. He goes back to God. Adam was the one of God by creation. Adam bore the image of God just like we do. Adam, when he was created, he bore the image of God in an unpolluted way, in an uncorrupted way, and then Adam chose to sin. Adam chose to mar the very image of God that he was created in. And when Adam sinned, the original creation was polluted. And every one of Adam's descendants, every one of us who sits here today, every person in this list except for one, are descendants by means of the physical tie and by means of the legal tie to Adam. And we are therefore stained with the sin of Adam. And the likeness of God has been marred. The image of God in our humanity has been corrupted. But Jesus Christ comes into the world perfectly pleasing to God. God says of Him, You are my beloved Son. In You I am well pleased. He is as Man, what Adam once was before the fall. He is sinless. He is bearing absolutely and bearing perfectly the image of God. So Luke is saying, listen, if you want to know who Jesus is, Jesus is this. Jesus is the truest Son of God that has ever come into the world since Adam. He is the truest Son of God. He is the true Son of God in His humanity, and He is the true Son of God in His divinity. And so He's not only Son of God, He's, as Luke says, Son of Adam. In other words, He's like us. Like us, tempted, like us, suffering, like us, persecuted, like us, hated. Like us, he even was killed, died. The first Adam, created by God in his unperfected holiness, chooses to disobey God, but Jesus comes in perfect obedience to the Father. He is the fully man in every way, and yet he is fully God. And so Luke says, Jesus is the God-man. Jesus is the God-man, both physically and legally qualified to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus Christ is all of that. We didn't get into it all. We're not going to get into it, but it's an interesting study. Just two names that are listed in both genealogies, Zerubbabel and Shealtiel. How could Zerubbabel and Shealtiel be in both genealogies if they're two different branches from David? 
How could they be in both? Well, there's all kinds of theories about that. Some talk about Leverite marriages, which is the old rule in Deuteronomy where if a brother died, got married and died and had no children, then the brother would marry the wife and have children on his behalf. So they would be considered the, the brother who died's children, even though they were physically the progeny of his brother through that wife. And so you might have this Leverite thing going on, which is why they're in both. And so the names of them might be look the same, even though they're not the same person. Or a different Zerubbabel, a different Shealtiel. We're not sure. <clears throat> and that's possibly and probably more likely than anything else. But we don't need to go through every name. The genealogy, it's helpful to us, very profitable for us to know who Jesus Christ is. We don't need to go through every name to see that Jesus Christ is, in fact, who he says he is. Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Son of God. And of course, is it any wonder to us that in Luke chapter 4, Satan begins to question that. If you are the Son of God, then just go ahead and exercise your own will. Do what you want. Of course, when we return to Luke, we'll see what Jesus does with all of that. I hope it's been helpful. I hope it's been profitable for us in our own hearts to understand some of these things. There's a whole lot more that we probably could say, um, but that'll give you at least a start on your own studies. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you even for these kinds of texts, for your word tells us that all things are God-breathed by you and your word that is God-breathed and that they are profitable for us, for teaching, for training, for correction, that we might be fully equipped people of God who, who are equipped to do your work. And this, this helps us, it equips us, helps us understand Jesus Christ and his tie to the throne of David and how all of that works by way of his mother and by way of his father. So thank you for that. We ask your blessing upon it in our lives. Use it for our growth and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.